0: But right. if, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles scattered around uh, amongst the chairs. So grab one and/or sit next, sit close to somebody that does. Squinch up with them. So, all right. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you guys, brave, uh, the adventurous. Bloody roads to get here, and this morning's already been an adventure. And I and I feel like um, I feel like there's a there's a reason that God has us here this morning, and there's a lot that that God is doing, um, even on uh, rainy days like today. So, in the kids' classes and some of the kids' curriculum, uh, they've been talking about how do we go on adventures with God, which is Uh, an exciting way to talk about what does life look like with God. Well, it's an adventure. And so um, in getting ready for this morning, uh, I was uh, looking at the lectionary, which is not something that I kind of grew up doing when when it was my turn to teach or whatever. I wouldn't go to the lectionary, which is basically a set of scriptures that fits the whole calendar of the year. And they kind of fit into different sections. Uh, And and the scriptures for today fit in under a section that's all for Easter, which I think is pretty cool because growing up, Easter was, you know, Easter bunny time. We got a little basket, had a little lesson at church about Jesus rising from the dead. And it was kind of, you move on, get ready for summertime. Well, one of the things I really appreciate about the calendar uh, the, the lectionary is that it, it reminds us that Easter is not just a kind of one-time thing. Basically, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead launches us into the rest of the year, launches us into the rest of our lives uh, different. We're changed because of that. Because Jesus walked through, and I loved how that, that poem that Charles read about motherhood um, and about all the things that are wrapped into it talked about the joys and the pains because... Uh, That's what life is like, and and Jesus walked through a world that had brokenness and walked through a world that had death and sin, and he came out the other side of death, and God raised him up by the Holy Spirit to new life, and that breaks in with Easter, and then that changes everything, and so everything flows out of that, Um, and so this week is our, our conversation is something that flows out of the life of Easter that we find, okay? And it's going to be in Acts chapter 10, because uh, Easter, uh, Acts comes after Easter, okay? Uh, So you can go there, and um, we're going to talk about two guys and an adventure that God had for them. Um, Now, I'm going to basically tell the story, so if you're following along, uh, you can uh, can see how close I get to it. Um, and correct me afterwards, okay? I want to be correct, but just don't correct me right in the middle of the conversation. Um, so, leading up to Acts 10, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he appears to his closest followers, and he spends some time with them. And then he ascends to heaven, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, because I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And in Acts 2, the the people that are following Jesus at that time, there's only about 120 of them. They're all gathered into one room and the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind that we can appreciate this morning down and just flips everything up in the room. And there's noise and there's praising of God and there's tongue speaking and there's fire on people's heads. And the Holy Spirit brings in this new life. And good news is spread that day. People come to uh, know who Jesus is and come to be convicted by him and receive the Holy Spirit and baptized in his name. And then new life just starts to spring out in all sorts of ways. Not just the teaching about Jesus, but the living this new way of life where people are starting to uh, be healed. People are starting to share with each other. Everyone that's had that had any need was taken care of. In that early church because the spirit was breaking new life into this group. And so it was an exciting time. And yet the powers that that were in charge previous to uh, Jesus' resurrection. uh, They didn't want to let go of that power that they had. And I'm talking about the spiritual powers that are behind the evil in the world. That influence the people that start to participate in that evil. And so some of what happened uh, in the early church is that persecution broke out. And in Acts 7, we read about the first uh, person that was persecuted, a guy named Stephen, stoned to death. Well, there were people thrown in jail before that, but he was the per- first person that was killed in Acts 7. And then in Acts 9, this young guy named Saul starts going around to every little village, and he rounds up all the Christians and gets, you know, gets them out of their homes, and he's starting to put people in jail, and people are, more people are going to be killed for their faith in the, in the chapters to come. Now up to this time, Peter and the other apostles have kind of hung tight in Jerusalem where it all started. And you know that they, they know that, that Jesus said, you're going to go to all the earth and you're going to preach to everybody, but something is kind of keeping them there. They're not moving yet from Jerusalem. Even after persecutions coming come, and it says all the believers are scattered over across the world at this point but the apostles are staying in Jerusalem. But by Acts 10... Uh, Peter has gone, and he's gone to a, a little town named Joppa, and um, basically, I don't, you don't know what kind of spurred him to, to do this, but he went to a guy named Simon's house, who it says, let's live by the sea, and so this is the first thing I want us to emulate. When things get tough, we need to go to the beach, okay? Um, Julie and I are going to try to do this later on this month, you know, things have been tough, so we're going to go to the beach, and you want to live a biblical life after Peter, <laughs> do your best to go to the beach with Andrew Puff. So Peter goes to the beach on the sea, on the Mediterranean Sea at a guy named Simon the Tanner's house. And uh, north of where Simon lives is another town called Caesarea. It's about 30 miles to the north. And there a man named Cornelius lives. And he is an important person. Uh, he's in charge of a hundred different soldiers. But he's also known throughout that area as a God-fearing man, somebody that prayed, somebody that when he saw a need in his community, he took care of it. So he was respected, and people, both the, the Gentile people um, and the Jewish people all respected him. And so one day he is uh, going about his day, and he's, he's praying, and it's in the afternoon, and God gives him this vision, and an angel shows up and says, Cornelius, God has seen the way that you've lived, and it's it's like a sweet sacrifice to Him. That the way that you've lived has come up before Him, and it's like a, a sweet uh, aroma to Him. And and He wants to He wants to share something with you. And so there's a man named Peter that's <coughs> down uh, in Joppa, and I want you to, to go get him, and he's going to share something with you. So Peter, uh, Cornelius kind of snaps out of it, and he gets three of his closest uh, friends, followers, with him, and he sends them down and says, "Look at this guy named Peter. He's at." Simon the Tanner's house, who lives by the sea, he's at the beach house, and um, so meantime these guys take off. They go to find Peter. Uh, Peter is uh, at the beach house, and it's getting to be about lunchtime. Now Peter was he, he was still practicing practicing his spiritual disciplines. About noon was a good time for Jewish people to pray, so he went up on the roof to pray. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pray, like maybe you've tried to fast before and you're praying and you got hungry and you started thinking about food. Well, Peter has this vision, but it's all about food. And so he's praying, he's like, man, I'm hungry, it's, it's lunchtime. And he has this vision um, where this sheet, like it must have been a huge sheet uh, or blanket, starts to come down from heaven and there's all these animals on it. There's animals that the Jewish people were we're fine with eating, but then there were a lot of animals like reptiles and things like that that they were like, no, there's no way we could eat that because God said those animals are unclean. And if we eat those, we're going to be unclean, unholy. And we're going to have to go through this whole process of becoming clean again. Um, And so he hears this voice, which he, uh, you know, it seems like he knows this is God. And he's like, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And I love Peter's reply. He's like, surely not, Lord. Surely not And you're just like Who is Peter To like Get this vision from God And, and to have a command And he's like Surely not Well, no, not going to do it um, And you kind of get the feeling Like maybe he thinks God's kind of tricking him Like Peter Go do, do this that. and He's like Ah you're not going to trick me God Surely not Surely not Well uh, God says Don't call anything unclean That I have made clean And just to prove the point He does it three times Okay so to think back in Peter's life. When things happen in threes, usually Jesus is trying to get his attention <laughs> and it's not good for him usually. So this third time it happens and then the spirit kinda of whispers in his ear, Peter, there's some guys that are at the door, go with them. Whatever they ask you to do, go with them. So he goes downstairs, he's like, You're looking for me, right? I'm like, Yeah, are you Peter? And so he welcomes the man, and then the next day they go. Now, Peter takes with him some of his Jewish Christian friends. And now um, they wouldn't have called themselves Jewish Christians. They were just Jewish people that believed in the Messiah that was promised from long ago. They were just part of this long train of God's people that were anticipating God showing up in this new way. And so they they were um, uh, they were just Jewish people. And uh, but they were believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. They were followers of the way. And so uh, they come with Peter and they go uh, up to Caesarea and it takes them a day or so to get there. Now, in the meantime, Cornelius, this good, God-fearing, important person, gathers all of his household together and all of his close friends. And, you know, there's probably a a larger group to fill up this whole room that's waiting with Cornelius for this guy named Peter to show up. And so Peter gets there and Cornelius... Is uh, he? His first thing, his first reaction is to bow down before Peter. He's like, "Get up! I'm just, a, I'm just a person like you." And then he walks in, and there's this huge room full of people. We can kind of guess Peter's probably a little startled, like, "Oh, I didn't know this was going to happen." And so his first uh, words to this group in Acts 10, uh, verse uh, 28, says this. Uh, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. So that's not the way to make a good impression if you're going to speak to a big group of Gentiles. But that's how Peter starts it off. He continues. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And he says, so so why did you bring me here? Cornelius goes into this description of the vision that God gave him. And so Peter says, "Okay," and he starts to talk to them about Jesus and he tells them straight up, you know what he he doesn't uh, he doesn't water anything down because this is a group of Gentile people. He's like, this is what happened to Jesus. This is what we saw with Jesus. This is what's going on. And while he's talking about uh, Jesus being risen from the dead and all that's happening and them being witnesses of this, all of a sudden that same thing that happened in Acts two with those Jewish believers starts to happen with this huge room full of Gentile people. And they start to praise God, and they start to speak in tongues. And, and Peter and his friends recognize this is the same thing that happened to us. What can stop these people from being baptized? And so that's exactly what they do. They, they baptize these folk, and, and Peter stays with them. And presumably they, they start this whole new church of Gentile believers that had never happened before. So, Acts 10 is about an adventure that God had in store for Peter and his friends. But to be able to go on that adventure, God had to work through some of the stuff in Peter's life. And I want to just delve into Peter's stuff for a minute because it's easier to talk about other people than it is to talk about my stuff or your stuff. So we're going to talk about Peter's stuff. Uh, Now, Peter said uh, in verse 28... You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile and visit them. Now, I was really interested in that. So I, I looked back and I, and I did some research on it and studied it. I'm like, where did, where did they get that? Is that really in the Bible or not? So um, uh, in Deuteronomy, if you want to flip back there, fifth book of the Bible, uh, chapter 23, we're just going to kind of rush through some... Old Testament verses here in Old Testament history. So Moses, he gets the people out of Egypt back. You know, the movie. Um, anybody see the, uh, the newer movie of that? No. We're, we're faithful to Charlton. In, in classic. That's good. Um, so Moses is, is, is now sharing with the people the law. And in, in chapter 23, he's talking about who can come into the assembly of God's people. And in chapter 23, verse 3, he says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. That sounds kind of rude. Like, why won't you let them come into the assembly? Well, they didn't come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, blah, 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 to pronounce a curse on you. So when they came out of Egypt, instead of people these people groups going to help the Israelites and said they want to curse them. And so God says, "You know what? We're going to enact some justice here. These people, you're not they they don't get to come into my assembly for up to 10 generations. They're not they don't get to come in." Okay? So that kind of makes more sense. But then let's look down in verse 7. He says, "Do not despise an Edomite, for the Edomites are related to you. Do not despise an Egyptian because you resided as foreigners in their country." The third generation of children born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So he's like, so the grandchildren, you know, I know that the Egyptians just tried to chase you down and kill you all. But listen, they were nice to you back in the day. So their grandchildren, they can come into the assembly and you're kind of related to the Edomites. So their grandchildren can also come into the assembly. So it's not quite as black and white as like none of the people that are Israelites can hang out with God's people in the assembly. Okay. So still, you know, Peter's baggage, where's he getting it from? Let's flip over to Nehemiah. This is uh, down the road. OK, so flip past Kings and Chronicles. If you looking in your Bible, uh, past Ezra, the before Psalms and in chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Now, this is like 700 years after what Moses was saying. OK, this is a long time. Think about something 700 years ago happening. Um. And, and, and yet we're still a people That are being influenced by what happened then So God So Moses uh, gave this command in Deuteronomy and for generations This law uh, about Ammonites And Moabites was in effect and, But you know the Israelites basically They broke all the laws anyway They quit paying attention to what God had said And they even lost the book of the law And so God's like, okay, I'm going to let you be taken over by the Babylonians who are taking over everybody. You don't get any special treatment from the Babylonians now. And so they got even God's people in Judah got taken over. They went into captivity. This is Bible history in 30 seconds. And then in 70 or 80 years, a a chunk of those people got to come back led by this guy named Nehemiah. So this is where we're at. So God's people were really bad. They forgot about the book of the law. Now Nehemiah's like, we've got to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. So he's going to read the whole book of the law to them. So on that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they didn't give him bread and water, but they pronounced a curse on them, etc., etc. Verse 3. When the people heard this law they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. I've never seen this before. I thought that's really interesting. They're like, anybody that's not Israelite, listen, we just got put in captivity for two generations because we couldn't follow the law. So if God tells us to take one step, we're going to take ten steps in this direction, and none of you are going to be able to hang out with us in our assembly or otherwise, okay? And they started to develop a tradition Um, And the rabbis And uh, the uh, Religious leaders in Israel Called it putting a fence around the law Okay So to be really safe We have this law from God And we're going to build a fence around it So we can't even get close to breaking the law But this fence is a bunch of other rules And kind of regulations And and traditions that keep us From getting close to breaking God's law Because we don't want to go to captivity again Okay, does that make sense? So by the time Peter's growing up and Jesus and uh, everything we read about in the Gospels, to be a good little Jewish boy or girl, you know who you're supposed to hang out with and who you're not supposed to hang out with. You know that you're not supposed to go into a Gentile's house because then you will be unclean. If you eat with them and you eat their food, you will be unclean. And this is uh, this developed from from this, from these verses um, and this tradition. And there's one writing called Jubilees. That's this intertestamental Jewish writing. And in that writing, it does say, um, which is just written a couple hundred years maybe before uh, Peter's time. It does say, um, uh, where is it? Keep yourself separate from the nations. Do not eat with them and do not imitate their rituals or associate with them. So finally, we've got this explicit command, not in the book of the law, not even in Nehemiah, Because remember, they're just reading the book of the law and they make the call themselves that they're going to exclude themselves from everybody. So in this book of Jubilees, then it says, don't eat with them. Okay. so this is what Peter grows up with as the right thing to do. And Peter and the other apostles presumably are like, I know that God wants us to go out and preach the gospel to all the nations. But I don't know how he's going to get around this, because if we hang out with these folks, we're going to be unclean. If we eat with them, we're going to be unclean. And that means we've got to go through all this ceremony and ritual to get clean again. And it means that we're basically doing bad stuff to hang out with these folks. That's what Peter thought was true and right about God. OK, and so that is uh, I just found that fascinating to kind of do this research and figure out kind of what's behind those Jewish laws and, and what's in the Old Testament and what's not. And so God's basically like, listen. Um, I've got this adventure for you to go on new life is breaking into the world I've got some amazing things I want to do what, what happened in with you guys in Acts 2 I want to do that again with a whole group of people and I want that to spread to the ends of the earth but there's some stuff that you've got there's some misunderstanding there may be even some prejudice that you've got in your life that you've got to get I've got to get out of you you've got to get past so that you can go on adventure with me um that, that really hit me hard in the last couple of weeks as I was studying it and it made me think you know I was born and raised in the south and like many of you and um, I, I didn't think that I had a bunch of I was raised with a bunch of prejudice and, and uh, dislike for anybody that's not I mean my parents didn't teach me that or anything um, but Charles was leading this uh, group uh, on spring break one year in college um, that I signed up for to go up to St. Louis and we went up to St. Louis and we worked in the inner city and schools and then different neighborhoods. And that week um, for the first time in my life, really, I spent the whole week around people that were in a different socioeconomic group than I was used to. And I was the (coughs) minority in the group. And I just remember just feeling kind of like, I felt very uncomfortable. And I was really mad at myself for feeling that way. I was like, what's the deal with me? (laughs) Why am I feeling this way? I'm not this way. And I just realized the spirit of God was saying, hey, there's some stuff that you grew up with, some expectations about what people are like or about how you can feel around them. That's that's not real. That's not for me. It's not true. It's just what you grew up with. And I want you to be able to love and serve these people with your whole heart. So let's get rid of some of this stuff. And so God got to work on me. And, um, and it was really powerful uh, that week in my life. Um, now, it's hard to say, like, okay, what is this stuff that, that's in our own lives that keeps us from being able to connect and love and share good news with all the people in the different nooks and crannies of culture in Dallas, Texas, that are not like us, that are maybe at our work or at, our, at schools and at, uh, um, in our neighborhoods? You know, what's keeping us back from connecting with those people? What keeps us from, from talking to that person or from wanting to spend time in that neighborhood? Um, usually we're blind to those things that are in our hearts and in our lives. We don't realize, like Peter, that we have something going on that, that, that God wants to kind of move, move us beyond. And so it's the Spirit that has to show us those things so that when the Spirit nudges us, we don't, in our hearts, kind of say, surely not, Lord, surely not. I'm not going to do that. You know, you know better than to send me over there. You know better than to say, I need to hang out with this person. You know better than to send my family into this neighborhood. Um, instead, the Spirit can work on us to start to move us and prepare us to go on adventures with Him into that resurrection life to say, hey, I've got something that I want to do with you and, and just bring you more joy and more life than you've ever experienced before. Um, So let's go. Let's go on this adventure. But let's work on some stuff that is a barrier between you getting there. So how are we going to kind of wrestle with this? How are we going to hear from the Spirit this morning? Um, We're going to do two things. Uh, One is I've got some note cards and some pens. And so for some of us, um, the way we process things is we think to ourselves and we pray to ourselves and so um, I want us just to kind of pray and just say God is there anything in my heart right now in my life where you're you're wanting to take me to this place you're wanting to use me in some way but there's something in me that's that's holding me back um, and just ask God that question and then just uh, maybe jot down some notes okay and then um, I'll give I'll just give us one two minutes to kind of wrestle with that and then I want uh, us to kind of group up into groups of three or four. Yeah, and you may feel kind of uncomfortable with this, but you don't have to share anything, but um, just get into groups of three or four, and then if there's something that you feel like sharing, feel like God might be saying to you, I want you to share that, and then I'll, we'll just do that for two or three more minutes, and I'll kind of keep an eye on the, on the clock. Um, and then we'll pray, and then we're going to share in a time of communion that's also going to be helping us reflect on these things, okay? So does this make sense? We're going to do a little individual time, and then we're going to have some together time, and then we're going to have some community time, okay? What did you say we were going to discuss in the groups? Um, just whatever, if you feel like God's saying something to you, um, or just what, what thoughts are kind of rumbling through your head based on this story, you can share, okay? Kind of keep it brief, because we're going to try to give everybody a chance to share. Okay, spend some time... Uh, write your thoughts, pray, just listen after God.